The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. Apple and the court case against Epic Games. The case is over. Do we have a judgment, Colin? Or as is typical with these corporate fights, the judgment comes out long after we've all forgotten what the fight was all about. I don't know about long after, Bruce, but it's, it certainly will be a, a while before uh, we do hear it. And um, the, the judge in this case has uh, three weeks worth of testimony and um, a, a, good, a good bit more than that, four and a half thousand pages of, uh, of testimony to consider as well. Um, and and it, in part, it's, it's both the court case and, and the big battle between Apple and Epic. Uh, and in the second part, it's a, a part of this question about what is a game and what is this next thing that games are evolving into called the metaverse. And so in the interest of exploring uh, the supposed metaverse, uh, I am both uh, speaking to you just on a, on a Zoom call uh, while we are broadcasting on 702 and Cape Talk and also streaming on the various platforms that you can listen to the stations to online, including you know Google, smart speakers, and Alexa. Uh, and also, this is for the first time, which is why I'm probably going to hash it all up. Um, but on Twitter Spaces, and this is their version of Clubhouse, that thing we spoke about earlier, recently became available in South Africa, so why not? I'm giving it a go. Just for my own references, because weird things are happening technically on my side, can I just confirm that you can still hear me okay, and I'm not simply talking to myself? <laughs> I'm so tempted to be quiet. <laughs> and if you're feeling oh, like a twit. But no, we can hear you perfectly, Colin. You, your, your technical prowess is being tested, and it is standing the test of, of, the, of the internet. It's, it's, you, you're doing good. All right, let me see if I can re- re- repay the favor then in some respects by, by putting you in the seat of uh, Judge Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers uh, because the final person to give testimony, which, which f- finished on Friday, was Tim Cook himself, the, the Apple CEO. The first time he's ever given testimony in court. Uh, and there were a couple of, um, well, there was obviously evidence that was led by the Apple team and then cross-examinations from the Epic team. Uh, but it was the questions from the judge herself that I thought were very illuminating to just see where exactly this is going. I must say up front that she is doubtful that an antitrust sort of court is likely to resolve the issue that Apple and Epic have got, uh, despite there being, you know, the best way for us to understand what's going on is probably a court case like this. Uh, and at the heart of it was whether or not Apple is charging uh, an unfair fee, 30%, of people who uh, want to m- sell things via the App Store uh, that must be handed over to Apple because it's monopolistic and there is no opportunity for, for competition. So in, in asking, well, this is what the judge asked of Tim Cook to say, why not let uh, app developers to say they have an alternative? So if they want the ease of paying with their Apple device and Apple Pay, which is simply a tap of the button and it's done, which is a big plus, Apple Pay is a marvelous way of taking care of online payments. Uh, but that should somebody wish they can say, well, here you can pay by this alternate method. This is exactly what caused Epic to be kicked off in the first place. Uh, they released a version of the game that allowed you to make a payment that didn't use uh, Apple's payment services, but their own. Uh, they offered it at that 30% discount uh, and Apple promptly kicked them off the platform. Um, so, so what is your take? What would you have as a judge to say? Is that anti-competitive or is that simply uh, Apple making the most of what they're allowed to? I, I would th- go with the latter, I'm afraid. I mean, it's a platform business. It has innovated. It has created this space. And you, if you want to participate on its platform, well, they make their rules, don't they? Ow. Am I in trouble now? Uh, no, no. I, I think that's quite likely where they're going to wind up going with this. Mm. The, the challenge from Epic is to say, uh, if that was the case, 
then they would obviously be adding some value all the way along. And, and even the judge was pointing out to say, well, payment providers usually take a couple of percent only, and there's usually a lot of competition between them. Whereas Apple effectively has no competitors on its app store. And what it built was effectively a phone on which it put some software, but that software isn't necessarily that different from what they would have on their Mac computers, where they do allow people to load what they want and don't restrict them to what they can pay for. Tim Cook's actual answer, which was, I think, mm, more candid than maybe he would have liked, or possibly it's just, you know, it's not all about the safety and privacy and all these other good things, is that they've realized they're not going to be selling a whole lot more expensive iPhones. Those are people who are buying them, have pretty much got them, and the ones they have will last a good while. Their money in the future has got to come from uh, increasing the return they get from transactions and things that can be sold on their platforms. And certainly, uh, games in particular have an inordinate number of people paying to buy access or these little extra add-ons to give you more time or more life or more item. I don't even know what all of the things you can buy. <laughs> but from all those little microtransactions, a huge amount of money is made for Apple. So the next element then goes to um, who pays because the judge also asked Apple if, if a bank and their app, which involves uh, economic transactions or money transactions, also pays at 50%. Uh, Tim Cook decided to sort of move swiftly away from that because banks don't pay uh, to talk about how the ecosystem and, and the space that they create for free games and other things is, is what it's really about and, and attracting people to the platform. But you wind up basically saying she can't see how it's that fair that uh, effectively games in particular are subsidizing other apps, particularly uh, things like banks, simply because Apple wouldn't have the temerity to go and tell a bank, uh, all of your transactions that are done on our apps must come at a 30% premium. In fact, one of the emails that came out during the, 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 the trial was a, a conversation that uh, Apple was looking to do with Netflix, where Netflix was looking to allow you to pay for your subscriptions on, uh, on, on the iStore. And of course, they would have to pay that 30% to Apple. And in the end, um, Apple was was happy to to sort of ask if they could uh, offer them some things for added uh, promotion, etc. In exchange for that thirty percent, in the end, Netflix simply said, "We won't offer the opportunity to sign up or pay on iPhones. You'll have to go to the web to pay for it." Now, that is also something that is available to gamers, but. And this is the downside of games, which I think the judge also pointed out. These impulse buys that people do when playing these silly little games uh, can effectively guess get you to spend money that you otherwise wouldn't really fundamentally yeah. understand the, the well, how much you're spending. Uh, and so uh, if you had to tell somebody, do you want to buy this little fancy diamond thing that's going to help you dig quicker? I'm making that up. Um, do that here, or you're going to have to log out of the game or, or leave the game, go and log into some website, log in, give your details, put your bank on it, and then you'll get it. Most people will abandon that, that purchase. And so for both the gamers and Apple, they're sort of stuck in a bit of a 50-50. Uh, so the judgment, I suspect, will have only in a couple of months' time. Um, my two cents would be, Apple will be allowed to run its wall garden. That's what it built. It's, you know, accept the terms and conditions. You don't have to be there if you don't want to. There are plenty of alternatives. Uh, it would be able to set or continue to set its own payment percentage, but probably encouraged, if not compelled, to allow for an alternate payment option or perhaps a tiered percentage based on volume. So a, a game that once you've paid over a certain amount of money, you have to reduce the amount that you can proceed from it. That's my guess. We'll, we'll wait and see. I imagine, though, that neither Epic uh, nor Apple will will abide by where the decision comes out. So whatever way it goes, one of the others will appeal. And invariably, it'll get appealed to the point where it'll actually never really get settled via a court as to what <laughs> needs to happen. And I don't think Epic even intended to do because the, the sort of the, the, the pressure that will come from the court of public opinion and just the pressure itself about how and, and users viewing what Apple is doing and what these things actually are will be sufficient. 
Uh, and notwithstanding, while America is quite open and quite robust with these things, Europe is a lot lesser. And I can expect that Europe will probably use the outcome of this case and certainly the contents of it uh, to launch its own thing, to restrict what Apple can do maybe in Europe and then on the consequence of that, open up for more challenges elsewhere. But it does raise us or brings us back to this question that Tim Sweeney uh, makes a big deal about and the notion that what is a game? Because one of the things that Tim Sweeney holds is that his uh, game Fortnite is not a game. It's a metaverse. And so the bulk of what I wanted to try and touch on this evening is what on earth is a metaverse? And it's, a, it's, an, it's an oldish term. Originally, we referred to things as cyberspace. This was the original one that saw this amazing virtual combination of all things. That's come to represent only the internet these days. So it's sort of fallen by the wayside. But in the early 90s, right after the invention of the internet, in fact, uh, this, this um, metaverse was coined to include what a virtual reality world and augmented reality world and the internet would look like when they come together. It required, you know, amazing bandwidth, which we simply didn't have. It, it required amazing hardware, which we certainly didn't have, and pretty good software, which again, we were nowhere near. But we're now starting to get there. 5G speeds, impressive. The kind of software that can run things like Unreal Engine, the, that's the heart of sort of Epic Games' uh, business is this. And the, and the hardware that we have, iPhones and most computers, etc. they're incredibly powerful machines. But um, Tim Sweeney, who's the CEO of a company, I don't know if you, Epic Games is valued at over 28 billion. He has a controlling interest in it. So he's one of the most unassuming and quietly, you know, under the radar kind of billionaires we've got going. Um, but he was speaking uh, tail end of last year to uh, New York Times's Andrew Ross Sorkin, who was, was sort of engaging and say, well, what does he see the future of this metaverse? How does it all come together? And then, and how will it play out given what we've seen, you know, the, the lovely, wonderful starts for things like um, uh, social media that all went a little bit pear-shaped. So here was his take. Just as COVID has kind of taught people that actually it's okay to not travel and to spend a lot of time talking to people on Zoom or communicating with them in Fortnite. And it's not just like you playing this game as a solitary experience. It's you and your friends doing something together. Just like my generation would go out in the woods and play in real forts. And this generation is now building virtual forts. Um, it's a great thing, but you know, the, the company, the power of these ecosystem operators, you know, whether it's Apple and Google or the social media companies um, or you know, if any of the game operators in the future turn to similar practices, you, know, you could have either a utopia of of communities online or a dystopia where you know, powerful corporations use their, their control over the medium to exert more and more control and influence over society and to, to capture for themselves the fruits of everybody else's labor, um, you know, including the user, labor of creators and, and customers. Here's so the he point, though, Sorry, Colin. I mean, here's the point, though. I mean, okay. his game is worthless without those vehicles to carry it, and that's what Apple has got. It's got the the it's got the transmission mechanism, which is something he doesn't have. Well, for now, and again, he is kind of a, a, an Apple when Apple was still small, and they were sort of struggling. The, the, the 1984 ad that uh, Apple put out against IBM sort of sense epic <laughs> yeah. where they are now okay and, and i yeah, think that yeah. is it's, it's fair to say this that's the kind of evolution and as much as he points to it could be a wonderful utopia or a dystopia i'm willing to bet the dystopian option is the one we're going to go to first um and in fact you just need to look to the movies if you ever want to, to see a view of the future and there was one from uh, i think it was 2015 called ready player one uh where this uh person has to travel to the virtual world and save it from a, a horrible um you know 
evil corporate crowd who are trying to steal everything from them, uh, from a place that they called Oasis, or, or to give it its full name, and only the movies would come up with these sort of things, ontologically anthropocentric sensory immersive <laughs> simulation. Expect we'll have some of those things. The timeline, the setting for that particular movie was 2045, which I think lines up quite nice with when we're likely to get to the point where stuff will have improved to where we're saying, ah, this could be so amazing and human nature will be what it is and we'll be having the same conversations about this lovely metaverse as we're currently having about the destruction and terribleness of, of social media. That's not to say that, you know, we haven't uh, dipped our feet in this water before. There was um, Second World, which kicked all it off with these sort of digital currencies, only to be replaced by the absolute nuttiness of, of cryptocurrencies. And even that has got a, a, a second version in Decentraland, which is in itself a, a DAO or a decentralized autonomous organization. The jargon and crazy terms here are just never ending, which effectively allows people to buy space in this place, to set up businesses, to open galleries, to make crafting businesses or build games for people to come in. And you think, well, who would want to go and do that? Well, the kind of people who are investing, it appears to me, are the same crowd who didn't think it was so weird when somebody spent 10,000 bitcoins to buy two pizzas back in 2012. And on that basis, they are starting to pile in and, and putting up their galleries of NFTs and building some little things to waste some of our time. There's a couple more uh, elements to this that I've left online for exploring the metaverse and where we like to go. Um, I think like most of these things, we, we look at it now with a element of sort of like, yeah, right, that's not going to happen. But it's kind of the same way we looked at the mobile phone when we first saw that and thought, yeah, do I really need that thing? Only to know that right now we can't live without it. Absolutely. Colin Cullis, Business Unusual on a Wednesday.